0: So, Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept?
1: You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more.
0: So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, Shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show.
1: Welcome to
0: Crazy and the King. And let me tell you something. The the frustrating thing about wearing black, um, you don't have this problem yet, but I have gray, you see it. And Mm. so whenever I wear black, like a hoodie that I have on right now, and you know, you're just minding your business, you might be walking, you might do something like this and you have little gray strands of hair all across. Um, I just had a bit of a charcuterie uh, thing you know little hoity-toity little charcuterie you know it had chips on it it had crackers it had cheese had shrimp strawberries peppers you know and so I look down on the hoodie and I'm like you I got gray hair on the front of this joint I got little you know uh, cracker crumbs on the front of this joint so I had to kind of get pretty because we practicing in this camera thing you understand
1: Yes, that, that's some fancy shit right there. When you got your shirt and your lunch and and your hair on your shirt, Can't be come about on, that. you know. And, and I think <laughs> I said it
0: right, charcuterie. You know, you did
1: say it right. Yes, that,
0: that that culture stuff. You you we have a little bit of culture. Let me tell you something. I um, as we look at the end of the month of February, um, and you and I have been, you know, just supported by Jobvite. And so they reached out and they said, you know, Torn, we're having these conversations and, you know, we'd love for you to come in and talk about. Well, whatever they, they gave me, the they gave me the microphone and just said, look, nice. we're in Black History Month. You just do your thing. So, you know what I did? I went and talked about the 1619 project. I talked about the 1776 nice. project. And then I talked about the book, The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And in between all of those gates, Julie, what I did was I wove personal story in so that they could understand. And it wasn't only personal story. I probably should say I wove story and or personal story in between those three gates. I did that Mm -hmm. because I wanted people to understand uh, when we talk about black history. There's so much more to us than slavery. There's so much more to us than Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, um, Carter G. Woodson. There's just so much more to who we are, the contribution that we have given to humanity. And actually, I can say that humanity is since the very beginning. And I needed them to understand how important not only the month is but how important it is for them to have a different relationship with our history. And I even took the liberty of saying, I want you to have a different relationship with the plight of people with disabilities, people that are LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. everyone and anyone who is overlooked. I want you to have a different relationship with them. So shout out to JobVite who is one of our show sponsors yes. and you know for I for having me to come in yeah my
1: t-shirt today.
0: There it is good look. good look yep. good look. good look black go
1: you can white you... t-shirt.
0: That's right. Yeah, so good. Love I'm glad you're it. back. I'm glad you're back safely. Uh, I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> glad you are back. Glad you are here I I did. ready to record and all mm-hmm. that other great stuff.
1: Absolutely. So you found an interesting story in is it Harvard Business Review about an employee disclosing a mental health condition?
0: Yeah, you know, and again, you can actually go out and read the story. Um, Well, let me see. Is the what's the title of this? The title is when your employee discloses a mental health condition by Amy Gallo. When Your Employee Discloses a Mental Health Condition by Amy Gallo, February 23rd, 2021. And I thought that this was a really good read. It was short, less than four minutes, but it was a very good read because I think a lot of people are still moving through their workplaces, uh, hiding behind that, that condition. They are not comfortable sharing that they have some degree of a a disability especially if mm-hmm. it's one that's not visible what, what what do you say to that i mean because you are you are more steeped in that space than i am i'm certainly making an observation from the outside but you you live it this is your this is your sandbox
1: it's kind of my jam right yeah. Um uh, you know it's fun because we did a, a panel today for self-identification versus self-disclosure for people with disabilities and really When you self-disclose or you self-ID, meaning you check the box in your HRIS system, you are entrusting your employer, your coworker, and your leader with the most sensitive information about you, right? The information that for the last 30 years since the ADA, you've been told to lock away and not share, right? It's like the don't ask, don't tell kind of time for us. And we're starting to now be told that it's okay to have that conversation. And I think that's great because we need to continue to engage and find supportive environments. The one kind of beef I took with the with the article was um, to make every effort that you will honor confidentiality. Um, it, I and I manage people with disabilities. I have been managed as a person with a disability. I've never had a time where I've needed to break that confidence and I've never had a time where it would have been appropriate for me to. And so I think that when when the writer Amy writes that she's putting on her HR hat, right? And she's taking off her humanity hat and thank you for telling me, I support you. Let me know what you need. If you need an accommodation, then we'll get to that place. That's it right? Don't say, I may have to tell on you someday. You've just sucked all of the trust out of the relationship. You've, you've sucked all of their confidence in that moment of bringing their full selves to work and said, I promise not to tell, but I might have to tell on you later. It's like a schoolyard girl, right? I promise I didn't tell anyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that really, that really is what that statement is saying. Um, And I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily key in on that when I saw it in the article, but hearing you mm-hmm. elaborate on it absolutely makes me understand and live with it a little bit differently. And, and that little bit differently actually should be. I'm just living with that statement differently. So you're absolutely right there. So let me ask you this question then, you know, uh, and then we can move on, but, but when would you break the trust? You know, when I think about like, um, Cell phone providers and probably not the best analogy, but there are certain times where uh, government agencies are asking them to release information, Freedom of Information Act, blah, 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 blah. When would I, in your opinion, when would I break that trust and share that you have given me, uh, you know, trust of, of, of that information?
1: Yeah, I think the only time is when you would potentially be a harm to yourself or others. And I I even have have had that scenario um, where I was concerned that an employee might cause physical harm to themselves. And I had to call HR, but I didn't disclose their mental health issue. I just said, hey, here are some comments that make me concerned. She's my staff. I can't get a hold of her. I worry about her as my friend. Can we get someone to check on her? And that's it. I I still didn't say it's because she's XYZ diagnosis.
0: That's interesting. So, again, staying with that, placing it under like a wellness check, there is some, Mm -hmm. you know, matter of concern around safety. Wouldn't it be better to just simply say, I absolutely have a bit of a concern because this person, has you know a bipolar disease or is manic depressant or w- do you think it would not elevate the situation in a way that they may get their service faster
1: so the only person more likely to be murdered by a police officer is a person with mental illness and so i'm i would absolutely not say that if we were doing a wellness check i would say she made a comment or she had you know this and and the reason that she may be having that episode or the person may be having that episode may be unrelated to their disability. It may be because they're going through a divorce. It may be because you know, they burnt their toast that day. You don't know what's happening in someone else's head. And so for you as a leader to make an assumption it's because they're mentally ill is furthering bias, it's furthering discrimination, and it's showing that you as a leader haven't overcome those fears and stigmas around mental health for yourself, right? That's that's never the go-to. Um, if someone had cancer and they weren't answering their phone, would you say... I'm really worried about them because they have cancer and they're not answering their phone. It's like, hey, I'm really worried worried about them. They haven't been well lately or they've been struggling lately and I need someone to get a hold of them, right? It's not the first thought in your head is to disclose their business when it's something physical. But when it's something mental, it feels like you have a different set of permissions to live by. And I don't think that you do. I think that you have extra care and and support that you offer. Um, and that's not saying that they don't have to be, they don't have to do the job and all of that bullshit that always gets asked, right? You've got a great employee, you've got someone who you want to develop, you've got someone who's just struggling, right? If if you need to do a wellness check, that's one thing. Um, otherwise, I still can't think of one reason why I would say, yo, she's she is bipolar, send someone out to check on her
0: such an interesting take on the article and i didn't expect it to go in that direction but that's a beautiful learning moment for me and hopefully for those that are out listening to the podcast that they in fact also see this as a learning moment so that they can deal with you know providing that space inside of their organizations so that individuals are comfortable revealing the other two points from the article that i quickly want to share with each and every one of you are to when that conversation is taking place, whether you are the person um, delivering the information around a disability or the person receiving the information, pay attention to your nonverbal clues. Uh, Don't allow that body language to suggest that there is some degree of reservation. Don't allow the body language to highlight. Uh, You might be a bit alarmed, even if that person is in a capacity where that may impact the way that they work. Still try to make sure you keep a, as we say, poker face, because we wanna make sure that they are continuing to tra- to transfer that information because they have some degree of trust in you. And like Julie just said, you don't wanna shut a person down when they are feeling good about sharing that with you. We can get, m- I don't wanna say we can get more out of that person, but we can, we, we can get more out of them. We we, we can put okay. ourselves in yeah. a position to be able to help them even more. So I love the fact that we are covering this article and that we spent a bit of extra time on it. Real quick, I just want to bring you all's attention to what's going on over in Qatar. And and it's not so much so that you can do something about it. So I'm sharing this story. Uh, it's a story around exploitation. It looks like uh, 6,500 workers have died uh, in building Qatar's World Cup facilities, 6,500. And I want to say that that's over the course of the last decade, but that's still a lot of people that have died in work-related incidents as it relates to the World Cup. The article was over in Fast Company, and someone said uh, the person's name is May Romanos. Uh, They are a Persian Gulf region researcher at Amnesty International, and it says, quote, the numbers of deaths revealed by the Guardian are deeply alarming and further raise fears that migrant workers are paying the highest price in this tournament. I don't like anything enough for people to die to make sure that it comes to fruition. And I, I hear you like that 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 lands differently right Julie
1: yeah yeah that's a that's a big scary number right yeah yeah it, it, that's not even like the beginning of exploitation we've way past exploitation and the and death is obviously the worst outcome, but this article is worth reading because you know some pretty other terrible treatment and behavior that's directed at at these these workers who are building what's gonna be um a very large moneymaker for the country of Qatar.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, you got people getting their their passports confiscated. You have folks that are, they just actually set a law over in Qatar that said that the minimum wage, the the floor of compensation for these migrant workers is $275 per month. So when you couple $275 per month and that legislation was just put in place like in 2018, 2019. When you think about that many people that have lost their life and what they were working for, forget what what they are working for, what they were working for, that should be alarming on every single front. And so if you are a person who supports FIFA, if you are a person who watches soccer, if you are a person who in the US Uh, is working for an employer that is exploiting migrant workers here see that's the reason why I brought the story up because I'm not just pointing fingers over at Qatar we got folks right here in the US, North America that are guilty as well of hiring migrant workers stuffing them in hotel rooms I think about um um you know what this is like a bold moment (laughs) I'm literally Uh I'm literally thinking about an employer in your state where I heard that they are or had been, you know, just bringing people across uh, from India, placing them in hotel rooms, Mm -hmm. not suites, just rooms, hotel rooms. I don't know if they were underpaying them. I'm not going to suggest that part. But I just heard, you know, like, why the, why the hell are you placing, like, four and five, six men in a room?
1: All oh the fucking God. money that you all are making. Yeah, I have no idea about the story.
0: No. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, you know, like, absolutely. So the reason I bring it up is because, um, and damn it, if I, and I, don't, I can't remember the name right now. And the only reason I'm not saying it is because I can't remember it. And I don't want to give the letter because I don't want you to say it. I, if I'm going to say it, then I'm going to say it. Um, I may come back to this in the, in, in before the pod is over. So if you all just hear me blurt out a company name later, you know why. Hey, listen, Vite and Gusto yes. have been extremely supportive, uh, and we highly encourage you to continue to support them. We really seriously do. Like, we'd have the podcast without them, but because we have them, we are even happier. We continue to try to deliver great content. We absolutely want to make sure we push you over to them. And once again, if you, for whatever reason, check out the podcast, you can always go to jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K, or you can go to Gusto. It's actually Gusto. Gusto Gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Let's get into this week's show.
1: All right, so I had a completely different story for this week, but Hi. about three hours ago, the New York Times published um, on their news site, right, a article that says, New York co- New York Times calls for workplace change in diversity report. And I'm like, who, who the hell are they talking about? They're uh-huh. talking about themselves, right? So top executives from the New York Times, so the publisher, the chief editor, and the I think it was the chief um, people person um, put out a note to staff on Wednesday that said that they are committed to bringing change to the New York Times and to the newsroom to make it more diverse and inclusive.
0: Okay. Pause. Pause. Yep. Pause, pause, yep. pause. 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 <laughs> pause. Pause. So first of all, let me just say this: Yes, New York Times has been very supportive. And I just talked about it at the top of the show, Nicole Hannah-Jones and some of the Mm -hmm. other initiatives around reporting on stories that impact black and brown communities and communities whose narratives have typically been skewed towards the negative. They've been extremely supportive. Let me just say over the last I'll go with three to five years because I don't read it every day. Which reminds me, I got a subscription that I'm paying for. I need to start opening up that damn app and read Mm. that newspaper every day.
1: But they have been
0: very supportive. So I am curious to hear where you are going to go in this story, especially since it talks about newsroom and other divisions. Go ahead.
1: Yes. So the note came with the attached DI study completed by the New York Times. And it wasn't just like a little study, right? It was an eight-month study of culture and inclusion at the New York Times that included over 400 employee interviews. Like, again, another check mark for the New York Times. That is in-depth. And what they found was after several months, they arrived at the stark conclusion. The Times is a difficult envirom- environment for many of our colleagues from a wide range of backgrounds, especially those of color. Especially uh. those of color.
0: Uh, uh,
1: uh. And, and here's what I mean, I'm just going to I'm kind of geeking out over the New York Times a little bit, I guess, right now, because I clicked over from the article I was reading and I opened it up to the actual diversity report, right? So they fully published it online for the general public to see, Okay, it in, include, including data, right? So they have some really pretty charts that show gender, race, race and ethnicity, um, people of color kind of grouped together in all staff and leadership, right? And how those numbers have changed over the years. And they've certainly made improvements, right? Um, In fact, they noted that last year, so 2020, 48% of their new hires were people of color. Yep. 48%. So they increased their overall percentage from 27% to 34%. And, right, while we're talking about the good things, um, they increased their percentage of leadership as people of color by more than five points, from seventeen percent to twenty-three percent. That's, I mean, the, when you make a commitment to something, those are the kind of shifts that you want to see. But what they found is, is that they're still not getting it right. And w- one note stood out to me in in this um, letter from the the publisher. It said the company's focus has been primarily Sorry, let me start again. And the company's focus has primarily been on building a more diverse staff with less attention to building a more inclusive culture.
0: Yeah. And see, yep. so what, 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 what comes to mind for me when I, when I hear you talk about the story and I'm actually looking at the report, I love the graphs. I'm looking mm-hmm. at the report. It reminds me of almost everything that we've talked about it reminds me and ties into very well the story that i'm going to cover in about 2 or 3 minutes it reminds me of the challenges the difficulty that we have we and in, in 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 the sense of black people we have when we are simply trying to show up in these spaces and deliver you know not not have to jump over the barrel and run through the brick wall. We don't want to always have to put on a Superman or Superwoman cape. We don't want to always hit the phone booth and take off our stilettos and put on, you know, our superpower shoes. We just simply want to show up and <laughs> and be creative yep. and give you, like, look at yes. what Nicole Hannah Jones did. So now imagine seeing what she did under what they say are conditions that are less inclusive. She was able to yes, put and out
1: especially and, for black women.
0: That's right. She was able to put out a report. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know what the 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 a Pulitzer prize winning and 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 yep. fellowship related. I mean, an, a report that was incredible. She's able to yep. pull that together under conditions That across the board have not been supportive of people of color. And so the question that I have, and certainly you can finish your story because it's a good one, but the question that I want to put out for all of our listeners, and I said this yesterday in the conversation that I had with JobVite, you make the scenario better for Black people, you've made it better for everyone. I say it when I am consulting. Yes. If we do D and I right, we do everything right.
1: Yes. And it can't be just the D has to be the I also, right? So, so many people are focused on just hiring and they're not taking a look at their culture. Um, So just really to wrap this up, if you own D and I strategy, if you support D and I strategy, it's worth looking at from a structural perspective, from a transparency perspective, and from a, um, a commitment to evaluation and transparency. Very nicely done. I my, Here's my bitch. And you're going to hear it every time we look at one of these LGBTQ veterans, people with disabilities, not mentioned once black people have disabilities black people are veterans black people are lgbtq when you're solving for all of us you're going to raise a stronger culture a stronger newsroom stop leaving the intersections out of the conversation
0: you know that was a that was a conversation that i had earlier uh in the week as well you know um Explain it to someone why I removed the pronouns from my email signature.
1: Okay, tell me that. Yeah,
0: well, we'll talk about that in another. uh, We'll talk about it in another uh... segment. Yeah, yeah, for real. No, seriously. <laughs> okay. And, you know, and I'll try to do it before I, we'll see if I do it before, because I'm on a panel with uh, Craig Fisher and his Talent Net uh, event coming up in a couple of weeks. And, it, it has mm-hmm. something to do with pronouns and intersectionality and, you know, some of those things. And, you know, okay. in this particular instance, I'm, I'm, I'm coming through as the guy who's taking them off of the email signature, but you're so absolutely right. The layers mm-hmm. of diversity, the, 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 the context of diversity and inclusion, equity and belonging is absolutely intertwined. And we've done a, we just yes. consistently do a, a bad job of leaving people off with disabilities. So we got to do better.
1: Yeah. Yes. We,
0: we yes. absolutely have to do better. So,
1: um, Yeah. So time for a job ad break.
0: We'll do that. That's cool. Let's put that in there because they oh, support us. So, uh, yeah, I mean, why not put it in there?
1: Yeah. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new Jobvite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed.
0: But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization.
1: Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today.
0: Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show.
1: Hmm. You never, they've gotten lots of love this week though. Lots of love.
0: Absolutely. So look, we appreciate uh, Jobvite, absolutely. But I want to talk about the legal industry. Uh, I got to go deeper than the Mansfield rule created by Diversity Lab. And if you're not familiar with the Mansfield rule, let me just kind of give you the, topical version. In the NFL, there's the Rooney rule. And typically in the legal mm-hmm. space, they operate by something considered the Mansfield rule. And they've, they've gone through a couple of iterations okay. at this particular point. It's um, It was inspired uh, in 2016 by the Women in Law Hackathon, where it measured whether law firms have affirmatively considered at least 30% women lawyers of color, LGBTQ, uh, and lawyers with disabilities for leadership and governance roles, equity partner promotions, and formal client pitch opportunities, and last but not least, senior lateral positions. The catch was 30% women. Have you considered your slate or have you compiled your slate 30% of those that I mentioned, love the Mansfield rule. It's a bit okay. more, it has more teeth than the, the Rooney rule, but it still comes with some challenges. And, you know, Julie, I think the challenges yes. are not so much so in the rule itself. The challenges are in the people that are responsible for living out the rule. And so in this particular story, it was over okay. on Bloomberg, Bloomberg Law to be exact. The story is titled, Companies Want Lawyer Diversity, But Firms Lack a Set Standard. Um, And in that article, they tackle the important and moving target around data. Now, everyone we talk to talks about data. They do it in organizations that I'm supporting. They do it in organizations, Jay, that you support. And they do it in every single article, I think, that we bring forth on a weekly basis. And the reason why I like this story is because it actually supports something that I've mentioned often. I mentioned it in my keynote for HR Tech Conference uh, keynote that's coming up. I mention it all the time. And it is, who are you? You got to ask two questions. Who are you and how do you want to be counted? And what that suggests, oh, and by the way, I called you out in my uh, HR tech Conf keynote. I did.
1: Good. Uh-oh.
0: A beautiful okay. way, though. Yep. Beautiful way. <laughs> so, but but who are you and how do you want to be counted? What that suggests is that I see you for who you are, like all of you. And certainly as much of you as I know, I I see you. I'm not just placing you in a, uh, a a peg or a chair because of your ethnicity, because of your gender. I'm doing what you said in the last uh, story, trying to bring in all of that intersectionality and to count that. And so the article highlights uh, Laura Acosta. She's with a firm called Goodwin and Proctor, and she says that her firm spends up to 800, get this Jay, 800 hours every year responding to diversity questionnaires from 10 to 15% of their clients, 800 hours.
1: That's a lot. I mean, I, I, I will say I find that almost unbelievable, but 800 hours, or I, I just wanna know if they're like lawyer hours or they like real people hours?
0: No. So what What she's <laughs> suggesting, well, you know, that's funny. I actually said no. And then I heard what she said over again. Uh, lawyer hours <laughs> or real people hours. Now, now I'm like processing that. Lawyer hours or real people hours. <laughs> Damn it. You got me on that one. Damn it, Julie. Oh. <laughs> Lawyer hours or real people hours. Hey, so listen, uh, uh, anybody in the legal field, if you're listening to this right now, uh, you can absolutely blame Julie for the pause and interruption in um, intelligent conversation that we were just having because she actually caught me on that.
1: (laughs) But they know I'm right. (laughs)
0: So, so the story goes on to talk about, you know, uh, it talks about how clients outside of the firm are asking about. Well, they're asking about things like attrition rates and origination credit, and origination credit really goes to that whole rainmaker status or who brought the the business to the firm. Uh, it goes to other questions like um, just really looking at more than. More than checking the box. They want to know, you know, what are your attrition rates for the last three years by race and ethnicity? Why did you lose this percentage of women in said number year? Tell us how many of your top 10 compensated partners are women or people of color or other diverse individuals like beautiful and very direct questions. Much more than box checking. And I think the beauty in that is that it forces these white glove law firms. It forces all law firms, if they are subscribing to the Mansfield rule and being committed to being more inclusive, more uh, equitable. I think it forces all of these law firms to say, listen, we we absolutely have to do better. And and it can't be just as The New York Times said a moment ago simply bringing attorneys into the firm, but that we have to put them in a position to win. We have to support them, provide them with the resources, give them those stretch opportunities, because that's what our clients are looking for. I I got a question for you, Julie. Are you familiar with that phrase, white glove law firm? Are, Are you familiar with that?
1: Like, I think of it as like concierge service, white glove service.
0: Yeah, yeah. Am I right? Okay. So, so white glove in the legal space, it actually means like, these are creme de la creme law firms. Like this is, this is top echelon law firms. So when I say that phrase, I say it, mean it, but I also want to underscore whether you are at that creme de la creme level, or you are simply mm-hmm. an emerging law firm somewhere in the middle, I'd love for you to adopt the principles of the Mansfield rule and to begin to submit yourself to, um, even if your clients are not asking for it, begin to operationalize a deeper relationship with the data. Because if you start to ask yes. different questions Of the data, like you got to challenge the data differently. If you ask a different question, then you'll begin to get different results, think differently, take different actions, and ultimately find yourself inside of what I believe to be a stronger organization. And this is not something, this is not an exercise that has to take five, 10 years. This is an exercise that can be changed depending on the size of the organization, the intensity of the effort this is something that can be changed inside of most firms in 18 24 36 months. You can change it. You just have to have yeah. a different query, yeah. a different relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's funny because some of the questions they are asking, they're they're definitely clearly very directed, very legal questions, right? In terms of the legal profession, but it's not like you just woke up and got this request and didn't know what an origination credit was, right? Yeah. You keep track of that because you've got payroll. Absolutely. You've got that that intro lawyer um, that's attached to it in your client ma- database, right? This is not stuff that you can't extricate and standardize. And yeah, you're always going to get those outlier questions that are so random. But if you're spending 800 hours, spend 100 hours and map those requests out and then build dashboards and data to make that process easier on yourself it's like i don't really want to hear you complain that you don't have a good handle on your data like it's yours yeah and you and you have it you just have to you have to expose it in the right ways and these are the kind of questions that i would love all federal contractors all companies that are out on rfp to be asking, right? Let's get down to the nitty gritty. I don't, I, I, care about your representation or you, your utilization. How many of those people are in leadership? How many of those people are getting an opportunity for extra wages? What's comp look like? Those are not new questions, and we should be prepared for them by now.
0: Well, let me just say, you know, to close up this story, Coca Cola's general counsel, uh, Bradley Gayton uh recently launched a new set of diversity guidelines that goes beyond surveys and demographics and he's actually imposing a 30% penalty for non-compliant firms so you mm-hmm. know the saying hit them in their hearts and minds hit them in their in their pockets and their hearts and minds mm-hmm. will follow uh and so he's put a penalty yes, a 30% penalty on you know firms that do not comply so we we'll appreciate that real quick before we get out of here uh Disability diversity, once again, uh, we mentioned back in December what NASDAQ is doing, what they've petitioned the SEC or proposed to the SEC around putting diversity on the boards. And so uh, NASDAQ is also being petitioned by activists uh, to expand that recent proposed rule to include, um, well, to include folks with LGBTQ representation um is it that or no to include disability I'm sorry um so that's the the plus in that particular story love that activists are pushing Nasdaq to include people with disabilities as one of the markers to suggest that we have representation and then last but not least um this fast approaching thing is happening and that thing being International Women's Day uh so we want to challenge each and every one of you to challenge people in your social network to to bring awareness to international Women's day which I believe is March 8th the hashtags that are being used across social media are hashtag choose to challenge and the other hashtag is iwD 2021 iwD 2021 I don't have a name drop but you do.
1: Oh, I do. So, uh, Scott Hinty, uh, VP at Computer Aid. Today I was doing a panel and he popped in the comments and said, Love Crazy and the King. It's a must listen. So, that earned him a name drop for us. And you can find Scott on LinkedIn at Scott Hinty, H E N T Y. Thanks, Scott.
0: Hey, we appreciate you, Scott. And I just want you to know I'm rubbing off on Julie because when we first started recording, Julie didn't spell anything. She would say <laughs> it to you and keep it moving. If you didn't catch it, yeah. figure it out on your own. But rubbing off on her, she <laughs> actually just did it. I want to say that that might mm-hmm. be the inaugural time that Julie has spelled something on the yeah. show. Love that. You know, that's that military <laughs> thing. We, it is. You know, it is. Chad and I, we, we do it. You, you, I'm sure he does it all the time. And he probably does it, you know, Scott yeah. Henty. H as in Hilo, E as in Echo, N as in Nancy, <laughs> T as in Tango, Y as in Yo, we out of here. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Find your voice, be a better human. Let's create better culture, teams, and workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See
1: ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor.
0: Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle.
1: You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto.
0: So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples.
1: So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department.
0: Shout out to Tom. But do you have more?
1: Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR, out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do.
0: So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider.
1: Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google and, and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King.